It's brought to you by Noble Knight Games, where Out of Print is available again. And listeners like you, thanks for using the Tomes Amazon and DD Classics affiliate links. Hi, this is Brian R. James, the better James brother, and you're listening to The Tome. Welcome to The Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And I'm Tracy Hurley. In this episode, number 216, we're talking about D&D to the extreme. Consider yourself warned. We may, on occasion, in this episode, use a, the word that refers to an illegitimate child that starts with the letter B. And joining us on this extreme episode is two guests in one. That's right. It's a guest so extreme that he's two guests. We have Tom Lamal and Bill Cavalier, the Dungeon Bastard. Hey, everybody. Thanks for uh, letting me join you. Hello, gamers. <laughs> Excellent. It's good to be on the show. It's good to have both of you here. Well, thank you very much. Let's start off with Tom. Tom, who the heck are you? Who am I? I am a, uh, a kind of dyed-in-the-wool nerd gamer geek like you and the uh, rest of your fans out there. I started with... Uh, with AD&D back in the day. Actually, you know what? I started... <laughs> this is my embarrassing admission right here. I started with Star Frontiers, mm. believe it or not. I was, at, I was at a friend's house. My parents were socializing with some friends of theirs, and they had a son who was about two years older than me. And uh, he had the red box. He had the red box D&D stuff, and, and he was playing that with his friends. And uh, they weren't playing there while we were there, but he had it out and he was looking through the rule book and stuff. And I remember, you know, seeing the picture of like, this is, this is a dragon's breath. This is the cone that it makes. And this is how many hexes it affects and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, wow, mom, dad, I, oh, I want to play this game. Oh, this thing called Dungeons and Dragons. It sounds really cool. Oh, I mean, you should see the maps. And, and my parents were like, I don't, I don't know. He's really, you know, that's something I've heard people can get really into that. And uh, so they were, you know, it was, it was the 80s. They were a little hesitant, um, as uh, it was probably not surprising at that time. And uh, so then I, uh, I, I, was, I was sick. I had to be laid up at home for uh, like, like a week or something like that. And my parents were like, well, since you got to stay home by yourself, we should give you, you know, something to do. So um, you can go to the bookstore and you can pick out anything at the bookstore that you want to get to keep yourself entertained. <laughs> And I was like, oh, I really want to get that Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, I want to get it. And I'm like, no, they're never going to go for that. And then right next to the shelf, there was the blue box set with the Yazirian and the Dralocyte and the human adventurer dude, the classic. I think it was Jeff Easley art there of Star Frontiers. And I'm like, ooh, ooh, can I get this? 
and this is, I mean, it's it's a game, I guess. I guess it's it's a game, but it's not Dungeons and Dragons. It's not like wizards and spell. It's, this is like laser guns and spaceships and aliens. And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, you always liked sci-fi. Um, yeah, seems harmless. And two months later, I was playing D&D. So. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of my intro to the whole... Um, I, I brought the game to school like a month later and, uh, one of the guys at school was like, whoa, whoa, Star Frontiers, do you, uh, do you play D and D? And I'm like, no, no, my mom and dad. And he's like, well, Hey, we got a group going you should come on over. So then it turned out, you know, one of my, my best friends in the group ended up being, his parents ended up being best friends with my parents and it all, there's a long and storied career from there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, literally a year later we were going to Gen Con, my, my parents and his parents packed us all into the car and they drove us to the first Gen Con that, uh, that they had in Milwaukee. So at least, been, at least your parents, going ever since. <laughs> at least your parents sort of moved past the whole, uh, mid eighties issue. You know what I? You know what I think it was. First of all, like I'm from Minnesota, and and I, I wasn't from some you know really like backwoods kind of like hardcore fundamentalist part of mm. Minnesota or some family like that. Um, so my parents were a little more open to it. And the other thing too was like, okay, well we got a you know a bunch of teenagers downstairs being rowdy and they have dice and rule books and stuff. They stay up till three o'clock in the morning, but at least we know where they are. You know, I think that was a big part of it was like, it seems pretty harmless. I mean, really, all they do is like sit in the back room and eat a lot of snacks and yell until two o'clock in the morning. So I don't know that my D&D game has changed that much <laughs> in the years. Very good. So so what do you do have to do with uh, D&D now? You know, what do oh, what do I have? What do I have to do? What, what, is, what do no, I what, have to do? What do you have to do? What, what is your, your current a, D&D story? You know, so here's the thing. Um, I moved to L.A. about seven years ago, and uh, the first thing that happened was um, – I don't know how many of your fans are aware, but I, I was in a, a viral video about role-playing called Fear of Girls. And uh, I was getting my reel cut. So, I, you know, I got a, a, a reel of my, my material, and I was trying to look for an agent and stuff like that. And the guy who's cutting my reel, like I pull – I bring up my Fear of Girls footage, and he's putting it in the – computer and stuff and he's like oh you know this kind of this is funny this kind of reminds me of uh of when i you know i used to play D D, and i'm like uh-huh <laughs> you know i was a little i'll be honest i was naughty about it because when most you know civilians outside the hobby you know circle here say oh, oh yeah i play D D," they're like oh i'm like oh okay what did you do well let's see now, uh, my brother came home one weekend in college and i think i made like a a priest or something and i'm like oh, you don't okay all right you played a week that's great I'm, I'm glad you had a good time that's fine but i'm like you don't you don't play D, &D you know <laughs> i was a little a little i'll be honest it's a little uh, a little arrogant but you know my experience is different than 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 just your average civilian so so this guy goes goes yeah 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 i played a lot of, i used to play a lot of D, &D. i'm like mm -hmm. he's like yeah and i used to uh i used to sculpt miniatures too and I, I paused for a moment and I was like, wait, wait, now wait a minute. You know, people will say I, I, uh, I painted miniatures or I bought some miniatures or I collected DDO or, you know, you know, the Dungeons and Dragons collectible miniatures and whatnot. But n people don't just drop like, oh, yeah, I used to sculpt. And I was like, what do you mean you used to sculpt miniatures? He's like, oh, yeah, you know, I mean, you know, back in the day, I, I um, you know, I, 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 I was just, you know, do little sculptures and stuff like that. I'd create little 
miniatures, and uh, I used to work for a couple different companies. I don't know. Um, have you heard of Reaper? <laughs> that little company. And you yeah, you could have knocked me over with a feather at that point. Like the, the the total like you know I was ready to swing the nerd hammer. You know like, well as a matter of fact you know I play tested Arcana Evolved for Monty. Cur- burr, burr. No, I'm done. Like I can't top. Like it, he he goes I, yeah I sculpted their original Beholder figure. <laughs> I'm like okay all right well your nerd cred is at least on par if not far surpassing my own. So at that point like I was like well we. Should should figure out a way to get a game together and here we are seven years later we still have our sunday night um you know D game uh right now we're uh play testing D next mm-hmm. and uh that's been fun and interesting um you know the grind of kind of like re- recalibrating your characters and stuff like that kind of gets a little tricky sometimes but uh i, I do that i've i had a uh, i had a gamma world campaign going with a different group of friends <laughs> and that uh, started with the 4E Gamma, Gamma World rules. And then uh, I decided midstream to just kind of convert that to Marvel Heroes because uh, I thought the system was really interesting, you know, and the whole kind of the whole narrative approach of like, well, instead of rolling dice and deciding whether I succeed, I want to decide what I want to do and then find the dice to make that happen. So it was, it was, it was, it was, a, it was a fun experience. We had, a lot of, we had a lot of good times with that. That one's kind of on hiatus. That was... It you know you fight the struggles of keeping the group together. That's mm-hmm. I think yeah. that's the number one challenge, right? You bet. And I think you're also involved in another um, you know maybe little known web series, right? That has something to do with D and D. It's true. I do have this. <laughs> maybe thing. some people have heard of. Yeah, I do have this <laughs> thing called the Dungeon Bastard, Bill Cavalier, the Dungeon Bastard, which I've been doing for about two years now. And uh, basically, Bill tells people why they're playing wrong. Which uh, <laughs> is something that is inherently inimical to my own, you know, soft-spoken Minnesota nature. But uh, but that's what he does because he's uh, he's an extreme gamer. Well, speaking of whom, uh, who Bill? Who are you? Who am I? Well, I am a professional adventure coach. Um, I am a dungeon bastard, as a matter of fact. Uh, so I tell it. I tell it like it is. You know. Um, Back in the middle of a hot summer night, 1981, I uh, accidentally read the entire first edition Deities and Demigods book out loud backwards on a dare. And uh, let's just say during the ensuing fire and legal troubles, I decided to spend the next 30 years of my life mastering the realm of role-playing games. So I conquered the Temple of Elemental Evil. I don't know if you've... Heard of it? I traveled to the land beyond the magic mirror. I was one of the first people to ever lie about surviving the tomb of horrors on its first pass. <laughs> so, since 2011, I've tried to broaden my audience and uh, bring my wisdom to the masses with my web series. Awesome. Uh, what what dungeon do you prefer to go back into? Well, uh, I prefer to go back to one that's actually been repopulated. You know, there's nothing more boring than walking through a place that you've already conquered and then just searching for secret doors. You know, you never roll that roll at the right time, right? You always roll that at the you make a success rolling for secret doors when there's no none to be found. And then the one time you don't look for them, well, the DM is like, "Oh, well, you should have gone back into the room with the abandoned well." No. Well- well, I, I mean, so. what, wouldn't you just have an elf in your party? Um, you're really, you know, you're kind of pushing the limits here, Tracy. <laughs> I don't know. 
full-on elf? <laughs> I'll tolerate, yes. A full-on elf, I'll tolerate. They make great wizards. They make great rangers. Uh, it's my sec- second favorite race to play. But, uh, I mean, really, if you're going to take down a dungeon that's fully stocked and that's really a challenge for someone who's an extreme gamer like myself, you're going to go with the party of all dwarves. There's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Because a party of all dwarves, of course, wouldn't have to find the secret door. They'll just knock the walls down. Right. Exactly. Yeah, you can mine your way through the dungeon. If you don't <laughs> like where you're going, where the adventure is going, you just get out your pickaxe and make your own way. And you always know where you are, so it's fine. Yes, and you have, uh, what is it, a two and six chance of detecting shifting slopes underground as well. So, No pansy elf can stand up to that. No, it's what, what are they going to do? Like, uh, you know, befriend, uh, befriend some sort of woodland animal? When you're a dwarf, <laughs> you're your own woodland animal. That's the best thing about it. Your beard is your woodland animal. Your beard lives in the woods? I, look, I could unleash my beard <laughs> into the woods. It would come back with a couple elves. <laughs> Very good. Excellent. And so to either one of you, uh, we hear there's a Kickstarter or something going. What the heck's that about? It's true. I am putting together the world's worst dungeon crawl. So, you know, here's the thing. Um, given a lot of advice to players. Not all of them have taken it, but the smart ones have. Um, people write in and ask me DM advice. And, and, and my uh, just purely on a philosophical, personal basis, I kind of refuse to answer it because... It's beneath me. Let's be honest. DMing is easy. You read some obligatory blocks, text, blah, blah, blah. The players promptly ignored the plot, and you just send some goblins in and say, roll for initiative. That's really all DMing is in my experience. Okay. Um, there's a few nitpickers out there. There's a few naysayers out there on the glorious field of battle we call the Internet who uh, say, Bill, look, DMing's not that easy. It just doesn't work that way. And to them, I said, look, I'll prove it to you. I'm going to show you how easy DMing is. I'm going to take the most predictable, on-rails, straightforward, tired trope of an adventure, a dungeon crawl, and I'm going to make it totally awesome. So, look, you're on some whatever predictable quest to to save a princess from some evil minotaur mage guy Uh, he's got these dungeons of doom fire whatever you know at the end of the adventure guess what you save the halfling princess spoiler alert everybody sorry i gave away the end of that one but in the meantime we have a kick-ass time that's the whole point and i'm not just putting this out there as an adventure you could go on the kickstarter page and pledge for uh, for a copy, either PDF or uh, actual hard copy of the adventure, take it home, play it in your game, right? Um, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is, and if this thing gets funded, we are going to go to Gen Con and we're going to film this thing live in front of the world's most hardcore gamers. So it's a, it's a way to switch things up for the Dungeon Bastard. It's a little something different. We're going to take on the challenge of not only shooting a game, but we're going to shoot it in the round, and we're going to shoot it live in front of a discerning audience of our fans. So uh, I think it's, a, it's an interesting switch. So not only can you see, okay, well, here's how the adventure <laughs> unfolds, and despite how predictable and straightforward it is, it's still a kick-ass time, but you can also see... How I run it, 
how I game the Dungeon Bastard way. Excellent. That sounds like it'd be a lot of fun. So you're going to put out this adventure uh, where eventually they save the Halfling Prince, but there's going to be all kinds of surprises and horribleness along the way, huh? Well, you know, I think there will be... Here, listen. It can't be the world's worst dungeon crawl if I don't kill somebody, right? So somebody's going... There's some PCs who are definitely going to be slaughtered in a horrible, unfair, atrocious way. Because that's, that's, that's one of the elements to... Uh, a, a, an awful dungeon crawl is something unfair happens and you die and you can't do anything about it. We've all been there where the, the, the 200 ton rock slide drops on the party out of nowhere just because the DM you know, didn't get enough pizza that night, right? I'm not saying that's exactly what's going to happen <laughs> but there may be some blue bolts from heaven that just decide to take out the halfling. Anybody, if anybody's got it coming it's probably the halfling, right? Maybe oh, I the, thought it would be the gnome. No, sorry, maybe the gnome. <laughs> it's so hard to choose, you guys. <laughs> There's going to be a bard in the party on top of all of this, right? So, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a challenge to figure out exactly who I'm going to kill first. Let's put it that way. But here's the thing. Here's, here's, here's part of the mystery. Even though I kill these people, they're going to have a great time. And not just leading up to the point where one of them dies – but afterwards as well. So if that sounds intriguing to you, if that sounds like uh, a challenge that you'd like to take up or investigate further, then please, by all means, you can uh, visit DungeonBaster.com or go to Kickstarter and search for the world's worst dungeon crawl and uh, pledge your support. We've got some great rewards. I'm very, uh, very excited. For the first time, you can get your own pair of official Dungeon Bastard sweatbands. So awesome. I don't just hand those out at, at a convention. <laughs> and it sounds like when you define it as the world's worst dungeon crawl, you're defining it by other people's terms, not yours. Because it sounds to me like this would be the Dungeon Bastard's perfect dungeon crawl. Well, you know what? I'm going to be upfront with you about one thing. Most people would think that the Dungeon Bastard's ideal dungeon crawl, and I'll tell you, my ideal dungeon crawl is 72 rooms of nothing but nonstop combat. <laughs> All right? That's my ideal dungeon crawl. Unfortunately, that does not make for an entertaining experience to watch. And for some people, that doesn't make for an entertaining experience to play. I don't get those people, but whatever. That's their <laughs> problem. Um, so the, the world's worst dungeon crawl is not a, a super combat-heavy, just like meat grinder of an adventure that I would prefer to play on any given weeknight. Um, it's, it's got some twists. You know, here's the thing. What are some classic elements that have always stumped a party? Because most parties... They want, to, they want to get to the combat, right? That's their goal. It's like, let's get into this fight. Let's get this thing over with. I want to show what I can do. I want to kill some lizard men, and then I want to take some score, some awesome loot, right? That's, that's most parties' goal. And instead, what the DM does is, of course, use that classic delaying tactic of, oh, no, there's, there's a riddle you have to solve first. And uh, uh, there's a, a hazardous cavern that you have to traverse and all this kind of garbage problem-solving stuff. You know, you're going to have to role-play an encounter with the innkeeper. <sighs> Look, for me as a dungeon bastard, that's not what I'm all about. I think that's terrible. That's why I'm going to put it into the world's worst dungeon crawl. Excellent. Thanks. And... and which system is the world's worst dungeon crawl going to be designed for? 
let's be fair, right? If it's going to be the world's worst, it's got to be a homebrew system. Of course. Okay? I'm not, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to get into some sort of escalating rules lawyer competition where somebody says, well, technically, according to me. No, you know what? If I'm going to be the dungeon master, I'm going to still be the dungeon bastard. And that means I make the rules I decide how it works. So if you're familiar with any of the classic role-playing games out there, um, you'll be able to pick this up and incorporate it very easily into your own home game. I'm not going to make it super rules-heavy. Um, it's not going to be super statistics-heavy because you know it's not 72 rooms of different combat encounters and, and, and uh, craziness like that. So I don't expect this thing to be filled up with stat blocks. I expect it to be straightforward. You know, this room has... 12 kobolds. Great. You know what? Whatever a kobold means to you in your game, figure it out, adapt it. It's not going to really affect the outcome, you know? Whether that kobold has six hit points or 36 hit points, I leave that up to you and your system. So, so that's, that's part of it. It's homebrew rules, which means, of course, I get to up the unfairness advantage a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I just decide the way things work. It also means I get to up the coolness factor. A little bit, right? So you're not beholden to something like a system shock roll or a particular type of saving throw or whatever. So I get to kind of turn the knobs a little bit on uh, like every horrible DM does. <laughs> right on. So, so, not, so, so while you can be a dungeon bastard, that doesn't mean you have to get involved in the addition wars, huh? Hey, I, uh, <laughs> I like to stay above the addition wars. That's my whole thing, right? right Look, on. if you're having fun, you're playing the right game. That's my philosophy right there. Excellent. So I will mention one other thing about uh, the, the adventure itself. Look, we're planning to run this uh, at Gen Con Sunday morning from 10 a.m. until 1 p.m., right? We've got about three hours, probably a little less by the time we – we uh, select our various people who are going to be joining the party and uh, do some introductions and whatnot. So that's basically maybe two and a half hours of gaming. This is, a, this is scheduled to be a 32-page product, right? Your standard uh, adventure module. Well, two and a half hours of gameplay, I got way more material to work with. I'm going to include, I'm gonna include fully um, statted out NPCs. They're going to have uh, character illustrations if we, uh, if we get things together here. Um, my goal is to have some bonus material and encounters included in the world's worst dungeon crawl in the actual final adventure, which will release after Gen Con, so that when you take this and play it in your game, you've got some options for, say, the geomorphic caverns of random and endless random encounters, that sort of thing. So if you want to take some things and you want to put your party through the nine-room meat grinder that just keeps getting worse and worse and worse, you'll be able to do that sort of thing, even though maybe your players have watched the video or, uh, or you know, heard about uh, what happened at the actual live event. Now I, now I expect there to actually be a room called the meat grinder. I can make that happen, Jeff. <laughs> Excellent. Maybe, maybe there will be a room called the Meat Griner. Oh. <laughs> what, what level are you pledging at, Jeff? Just let me know, and I can make it happen. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> All right. Well, people should ch definitely check that out. You said uh, DungeonBaster.com or go to Kickstarter.com and search for World's Worst Dungeon Crawl? That is correct. Yes, Excellent. the World's Worst Dungeon Crawl. Excellent. So but before we get into the 
extreme advice, let's not forget to mention our sponsor, Noble Knight Games. To the extreme. Our pick for this episode is XDM. I have to admit, I have not read XDM, but it is a book about extreme dungeon mastering written by Tracy Hickman of Dragonlance fame and his son, Curtis. And it's always seemed like a fun product to me, so... Uh, why not check it out over at Noble Knight Games? We have a link in the show notes, and make sure you tell them that the Tome Show sent you. You know, I have to think about what uh, old-school product I'd like to add to my library that's out of print right now. Um, one of the first adventures I ever played, um, Pharaoh. I don't know if you remember that one. Mm-hmm. You go to a uh, – there's a uh, pyramid that appears in the mists of the – well, not in the mists, but in the midst of the desert after a huge sandstorm. And it's your goal to infiltrate the uh, tomb of the pharaoh and, of course, loot the thing, right? That's the whole idea. Kill a bunch of dervishes, a bunch of people who believe in a different guy than you do, walk in, slaughter them, take their stuff. Um, so that was one of the first – I remember fondly we did some, uh, some, some terrible, terrible tactics. We really uh, – we, we barely escaped that one with the skin of our teeth. Is this pharaoh by TSR? It's true, Yes. Available uh, at Noble Knight for seven dollars. I uh, I four or I six? What? Which? Which is it? Oh, now I gotta click on the link here. Uh, oh no! I got it. Make, I got it. Don't make me. Don't make. Don't make you use the internet, right, Jeff? I know. Sorry. No, I just I got it here. Uh, it's and it's also Tracy Hickman. It's the I yes. series. Um, it doesn't say which one. Deserts of Desolation. Yes. Lost Tomb of Martek is the, I, is the I3. capper there. I three. Oh, so close. So close. Excellent. And you can check that out at Noble Knight. Noble Knight is a long-standing game store specializing in finding out-of-print games while also offering the newest great releases. Including D&D? They got it from any edition. That's right, all of them. What if I want a board game? Card game, minis, or dice? Noble Knight has it all and at a discounted price. In fact, Noble Knight has over 30,000 unique items on stock. And you know you can trust this Better Business Bureau accredited store with a satisfaction guarantee. Yeah, but I've bought too many things over the years. How can I justify spending even more? Good thing we're talking about Noble Knight then. They'll buy your old gaming things and offer you cash or trade. So you'll be able to keep up with all the great gaming stuff you want. Check them out at noblenight.com. Wow, I'll go today. And be sure to tell them the Tome Show sent you. Okay, it's time to get into the advice. Uh, first, I think we should start with the most extreme D&D player I know, Bill. Yes. Uh, just general gaming advice, how to Ad- game to the most extreme. Adv- advice on how to game to the most extreme. To the most ex- extreme. Okay, first of all, you're going to want to work out for probably like, I don't know, three or four hours the day of the game, get good and sweaty, get good and greased up, right? If you got to go into the pantry and grab yourself a little mazola and slather it under each armpit, go ahead and do that. <laughs> Personally, I like to check, take a jar of pickle juice and just kind of dump it down the front of my torso, okay? So when you walk into that gaming session, you are prepared to dominate. Nobody looks like you, nobody smells like you, and nobody is going to ask what you've been doing. <laughs> So that's how I start. Um, You've been you know, to maybe some of my players, haven't you? <laughs> well, <laughs> listen. If they've been listening to me, they know what to do, Jeff. Right. They know what to do. Yeah. Um, you know, the other thing that's important is always bring your own dice. 
Okay, I can't stress this enough. And and go through and stress test your dice before you even get there. Bring a good five pounds. I like to travel with a nice five-pound bag of dice. Um, when they start to disappoint me, I just hit them with a ball-peen hammer. Done. Do you train them? Oh, well, I, have a, I actually have a strategy for training them that, that is not unlike my personal strategy for slathering myself in Mazzola and pickle juice. So... If I'm properly prepared, I don't actually have to train my dice. I just have to punish them, right? The right. same thing with a figure, you know? Uh, if, if you still have lead or metal miniatures and those characters are not performing up to snuff, boom, ball-peen hammer time. Just let them have it. And you know what? Don't be discerning. If your buddy's mage doesn't want to cast fireball at the right appropriate time, give him a little love tap. With that bent arm, I'm sure he's going to get on board. Wait, the friend or your friend's miniature? <laughs> That's right, Jeff. You heard me correctly. Okay, just wanted to make sure. <laughs> Another important tip would be to shout everything you're planning to do. If you can talk at the top of your volume and dominate the conversation, you are dominating the game, right? This is about extreme gaming. It's not about some sort of milk toast. Let's just sit back and relax. And hey, what happened to you with your week this week? Who cares? Let's get to the goblin killing. That's important. In fact, sometimes when one of my friends is having a sidebar, I will just scream, let's get to the goblin killing at the top of my lungs. Invariably, some goblins show up. And of course, all goblins are too weak for any of your characters. Hey, here's what I love about goblins. It's just an endless sea of great cleave. Get me some boots of speed and some sort of reach weapon because I'm about to go lawnmower man on this entire battle mat. <laughs> so have you ever been up against Tucker's Kobolds? Tucker's Kobolds. It's Tucker, right? There's the dungeon where the the kobolds were the worst part because they were well organized and you know I've experienced that type of dungeon and my character actually lost a couple fingers in that type <laughs> of dungeon. It's not a pleasant experience. That's why you know when your DM gets a little too smart when it gets a little too much advice on the internet, that's when his iPad accidentally falls off the kitchen counter. Am I right, people? I thought that's what the ball peen hammer was for. <laughs> You know, sometimes you got to make a bluff check, Jeff. <laughs> I see. <laughs> now, I imagine the standard Dungeon Bastard uh, character has to, of course, be a dwarf. But Dwarven Barbarian right here, right now. Is what the, level do you need? I got, the, I, got, I got 60 of them on file here. Is the some with blue eyes, some with gray. One of them has a beard made of steel. <laughs> is the dwarf also the most extreme choice? I, I, I can see barbarian, but you, you almost think half-orc barbarian might be more extreme. No, actually, the most extreme choice is Odiug. If you're allowed to play <laughs> monster races, there's nothing better than playing something that hides in a giant pile of dung, has an infectious disease bite, and can slap you with three different tentacles from three different directions. Okay? I mean, it, you know, the weird thing is their eyes are actually on the tentacle. So you get a close-up extreme view of decapitating a dude when you're wielding your battle axe. One of my favorite characters, smells like I do, trash talks like I do, lives in basically the same apartment as I do. <laughs> in fact, there may be an Odiug in here right now. I'm not sure. So what's a Maxitar? What is a Maxitar? Well, that's, that's, 
it's tough. That's a secondary choice there. If you can get Minotaur, now I'll be honest, not every DM is going to allow you to play an Odiug. Okay, they have to be a little open-minded. But if you look hard, you can find that game. If not, if you can talk your DM into allowing you to play a Minotaur, wow, you thought a Barbarian Dwarf was awesome. Barbarian Minotaur, you just can't beat it. Max out strength, you max out constitution, you're done. Everything else just takes care of itself. You got a gore attack, you got hooves, you clomp around the dungeon alerting everyone to your presence. Oh, Bill, you might say, that's a bad thing. No, it gets to the initiative rolls a lot quicker, people. You're just saving time. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's, it's the most it's efficient way to play. Efficiency. Exactly. Right. Boy, if there's one thing I don't have, it's time to, you know, <sighs> interact with NPCs and search for concealed doors behind the tapestry and what's in the fountain. There's never anything good in the fountain. The fountain has to kill three people before it coughs up 75 gold pieces or whatever it is. You know, there's a water weird in there. Just... It's probably filled with acid. It's probably an acid water weird, which is twice as bad. Don't screw around with the fountain. Probably putting a fountain in the world's worst dungeon crawl. <laughs> <laughs> with an acid water weird. You know, my, my, my kind of my prime idea for this whole thing is just to slam everything together into one encounter. So you walk into a hexagonal <laughs> room with uh, tapestries on each wall, a chest opposite you, a... Um, fountain in the middle that's surrounded by four pillars statues don't forget statues yeah and, and there's and there's there's a statue in each corner which is holding some sort of flaming candle that's giving off a, an odious green light excellent what do you do <laughs> cut to 45 minutes later somebody's dead somebody's drowning somebody's on fire perfect well any more uh, extreme advice from from bill before we move on to the next person's advice Hey, my only extreme advice is go out there and game for maximum fun time. That's, uh, that's my extreme game advice. Take it to heart. Uh, play hard. Those who play hard, play hard. That's my... Uh, that's that's right. my that should be a t-shirt. <laughs> Guess what? It might very well be. <laughs> Great. So uh, why don't we go to uh, a slightly less extreme player? Because, <clears throat> I mean, who's not? <laughs> Tracy, any advice you have on making people, helping people make their games more extreme? Well, long ago, I adopted some advice from Chris Sims, mm -hmm. uh, which was the play boldly, which is very close to play hard. Uh, and that's just go out and have fun. Uh, you know, if you're first level and you're at a 20-foot cliff and the bad guys are down below, why bother climbing down? Find a way to convince your DM that you really can jump down on the bad guys and as long as you crit, not die. <clears throat> so I think that's a good one. Uh, Absolutely. In fact, that was one of, very similar to one of mine where I was going to say play, fear, play fearlessly. Right. right. Don't be afraid of dying. It'll all work out in the end unless it doesn't. And as Bill was saying, uh, there's a lot of and there's a lot of convincing your DM of stuff. You know, ask small, little, innocent questions. You know, hey, can I make my arrows turn on fire? Or hey, can we have that cart? And then eventually, you can build tanks and run <laughs> over everything. <laughs> I, 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 oh, I'm, I, I'm a fan of of uh, of uh, of kind of going for it and just pushing the boundaries. Um, I don't, 
you know, whenever a player starts saying, hey, can we, you know, can we, can I light my arrows on fire? I, I'm always wondering what's the question behind the question whenever I'm <laughs> yeah. DMing. And I was, and I was kind of like raises like, where, are, how are they trying to screw me on this mm-hmm. thing? So, so I, I would actually advocate just kind of like, you know, taking the narrative into your own hands a little bit and saying, okay, well, I want, you know, we're, we're going to construct a dwarven battle chariot using the, you know, and, and we're going to want to make something with flaming arrows and, da, da, you know, mm. and uh, armored bladed wheels, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And let your DM either sign off or, um, or put the kibosh or compromise on that. Yeah, you, you. I mean, that approach can work. Yeah, yeah, yeah can, it totally you, depends. You can accumulate power um, and surprise your DM in a good way, or uh, you know, there's nothing wrong too with just outright asking for it. Yeah, and I find actually I, to big piggyback on that as a DM, a lot of times um, I, I I get the same way a lot too, right? Because my players will surprise me and say, oh, well, I did this and I did this and then you let me do this and ha-ha, surprise, I got to pull off this really cool thing. It's like, well, yeah, that's awesome. I wish you had told me that's what you were trying to do because we could have actually made it cooler. You know? Oh, yeah, totally. I, I do think that there is kind of a, an old school mentality out there that pits the DM against the players. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know I've certainly, like, you know, been... Uh, uh, been subject to it and also been a party to it, you know, in my personal games throughout the years. And um, it's, it takes a long time for, you know, for you to realize that's just counterproductive. You can have those fun moments where it's like, ah, I'm, I'm dropping a fireball on you here, 48 points of damage. <laughs> um, and, and th- you know, you can have those, but if that's really like an, 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 an an ongoing theme in your campaign, I, I feel like, at least for my personal play style, it, it, it doesn't often work out. It's like mm-hmm. I've, I've come to the point in my gaming career where it's like let the players do something cool because, you know, at the end of the day, they want to win and you want them to win, right? Mm-hmm. It's important to hand them setbacks and, and maybe defeats of various degrees. If they've earned a defeat, then, then it's understandable. But, um, but, you know, the guy who wants to jump off the 25-foot ledge down onto the basilisk, not averting his eyes, just swinging his warhammer as hard as he can, you know, give him the opportunity to not turn to stone before he hits. And, and if, he, if he smashes that thing, great. If he turns to stone in midair, he still does a pile That's of right. <laughs> you know, like reward, reward the ferocity and don't, don't punish it just because it seems like a really dumb idea. Yeah. And, and and I understand where DMs sometimes get come to with that resistance, right? Um, as a DM, sometimes, you know, uh, they'll surprise me. My players will surprise me with something. Um, and, and they'll pull off something I didn't expect. And it kind of ruined some of my fun. Like, I was going to do something really cool. And now I can't because they, they pulled something I wasn't expecting. Uh, and so, my you know, there's a DM instinct to sort of say, well, no, here's some reasons that doesn't work. Um, yeah, but, definitely. But you kind of have to resist that a little bit too, right? You have to be able to say, yes, go ahead and do your crazy thing. I will find another way to do this cool thing that I was going to do. Yeah. Right. I, I was going to say, like, my point was more actually just, like, looking around for stuff that you could turn into cool shit. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, and, and that actually ties into a whole thing of, like, paying attention. <laughs> you know? Um, you know, like, listening to, you know, the honestly, like, I think sometimes I think the DM's hardest job is just communicating with everybody at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know? Because, look, it's a hobby and we're there to socialize. 
and everybody's got a smartphone. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's its own reward is if you're actually paying attention, you know that that barrel in the corner has already been searched and you know that the chest is leaking some sort of strange fluid, you know? Or as, or as my, one of my players figured out this weekend that while the roof might be weak, the pillars holding it are not. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Pay careful attention. <laughs> well, and then and you guys were talking about listening and um, paying attention and doing really cool stuff and also leaving room for somebody else at the table to pick up on your idea and make it even cooler is, I think, a really good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like finding that role for everybody. Everybody's, you know, everybody's there for kind of like different reasons everybody gets something different out of the game even if you get two guys who are full-on hack and slashers they you know they usually kind of have a different reward systems that's slightly different um i and i think it's a real challenge actually to um to to be inclusive of like if you come up with a good idea to be inclusive of somebody else because D D, like by its nature divides people into you know, Jeff, you get to act, and then the monsters act, mm-hmm. and then Tracy, you get to act, and then, you know, Tom right. gets to act, and then, you know, that. And so it, it, it gets into that weird kind of thing of like, oh, well, Tracy wants to, you know, to help Jeff do his thing, but she's later. Now we have to rearrange the, you know, initiative order, and then, you know, and the monster might kill Jeff before he gets over to Tracy. And then, you know, I mean, I think there's some mechanical things in the way that the game is set up that makes it difficult to do like hugely cooperative things. Mm-hmm. Oh, at least and in it, combat, but in other areas, maybe not. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, definitely. And there are some moments when somebody decides they want to try to pull off something that, that, that if it works would be really cool, in the, even in the middle of a combat. And everybody else looks at it and says, yeah, but that's not necessarily the best strategy so we're not going to support you on that i i would i would challenge people to go ahead and support them on that it'll either be an epically cool uh success or it'll could be an epically cool uh, you know failure uh but either way let that person try this thing that they're trying now that you may your instinct may be to to avoid you know it's it's funny because i i just realized like that would be an interesting mechanic like i've seen this happen at my table where you know somebody comes up with a cool idea of like i'm gonna rush off the cliff and 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 uh you know do a diving warhammer attack on the basilisk or whatever and it's tough because you see them have the idea and they get so excited about it and then they have to like sit there and kind of grind their teeth until it's their turn and uh I kind of, you know, those are those moments where it's like, I wish there was like a hero point type of thing. Or, right. Or, you know, you, you know, I had a hero point type of thing in my game where they could just like throw down their one game token for the session and say, I'm going before anybody else does anything else. <laughs> you know, it's the, I, sometimes I struggle, I think, with the whole like getting around to people's turns, especially because um, people check out, you know. Like, like if you're at the end of the or the top of the initiative and you go and there's five guys and monsters after you, man, it's gonna be ten minutes. So, right, why? Well, hey, what's going on? What's going on on YouTube? Yeah, <laughs> that's why I like some of the alternate uh, initiative systems that I've seen. Or like some of them, some of the games like Leverage, you just form scenes and not everyone's there, so it goes a lot quicker. Or uh, I think it's old school hack. It, your initiative's determined by what type of action you're gonna do. So people. I think people who do really cool stuff go either at the very beginning or at the very end. Um, I think it's more well, the end 
Oh, sorry. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead and say whatever you're going to finish. Oh, no. So it just it, – it, 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 uh, it, it allows you to do some more of that cooperative action because if you're both doing the same type of action, you can work together. I was going to say one of the things that I thought was really innovative and interesting, at least in my experience with uh, Marvel Heroes, is, um, is there's no initiative order. You just decide who, you know, who it makes sense to go first. And then that person decides who they want to go next. And it kind of keeps you on your toes. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know? and, and, and the great thing is, like, once everybody's gone, then, then you got to choose, you know, anybody who's involved in the combat who's not there, which is typically, you know, the monster or opponent or whatever you're fighting. And then they get to choose who goes next. So, you know, the classic kind of pileup there is that they choose themselves to go first in the next round. So they really get two rounds of action. So it's, 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 it really causes you to think about, like, how do we want to structure initiative? It kind of makes everybody pay attention because you never know who's going to go next. Mm-hmm. That adds a whole new layer of, of strategy, doesn't it? Yeah, I may I may try that in one of my uh, upcoming games here. We'll see. Right on. So Tracy, is that? Uh, I mean, we all sort of jumped in there, but is that sort of cover the the extreme advice you wanted to cover? I think pretty much. Tom, anything else that that we haven't already discussed that you want to add? You, you know, you guys you guys gave such a like a great kind of like we all kind of I think you know built on top of each other in terms of. You know, just be willing to 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 describe something cool that happens. Now, I've had players do that and do it in kind of like a a way that <laughs> they'll describe it in ways that, like, as a DM, it's hard for me to accept. They'll be like, "I jump on top of the table and then I spear the guy through the rib cage and kill him." I'm like, "You you can jump on top of the table and you." Can, you can spear the guy. I can't guarantee he's going to die. Let's roll some dice before that's, we... Yeah, that's, that's a heroic move. I like the fact that you, you know, you know, swung from the, the curtain and landed on top of the table and you want to, you know, give this guy... I'll, I'll give you a bonus for that. But, um, yeah, that's kind of not, you know, within your purview to just declare people dead. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also, it's also, going along with that, it's good for a, a player who's trying to... to stretch out a little bit like that to, to ask questions you know instead of saying i jump up on the table and i kick the the mug of ale into there or the i'm sorry not even the mug of ale i kick over the the bottle of of whiskey and then light it on fire right um you should instead ask the dm you know hey can there be a bottle of whiskey on there for me to kick over on him instead of just declaring that it's there you know yeah, yeah. What you know? What's what, what's on this table? Is there any whiskey on this table? That's like the most innocuous opening there, <laughs> you know, where it's like, oh, okay, maybe these are going to do something cool with this. I don't, you know, who cares whether there's a bottle of whiskey on there? Sure, yeah, why not? Well, but, and you don't even like we said before. You don't even have to be sly about it, right? Is there a bottle of whiskey? I want to kick it over on him. Do you right. might just say that sounds awesome. Let's try that. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting power dynamic there between being the the DM and and uh, I, I I like to give power to the players, but um, sometimes the game is you know the the way we've played for so long is not uh, sometimes players are are unwilling to kind of figure that out. You know when I when I switched Gamma World over to um, Marvel Heroes, like my players found it like kind of. They felt a little uncomfortable saying, you know, oh, by the way, there's a, uh, you know, a laser satellite communicator dish just laying on the ground there. And I can plug this right into the uh, navigation module on the, 
on the jet car and we can use it to find where we're going. You know, they like, like, like I'm, that's something you can do in the rules. Just make the proper role and you create that resource or whatever. And they were like, kind of like, what do you mean I get to just make stuff up? Like, I, isn't that the DM's job? <laughs> yeah, it really depends on what you're used to. Yeah. And different games support it in different ways, right? But the other thing yeah. you could do too, because I know you're talking about the, the people declaring before they rolled whether or not they killed things. I, I like to uh, allow people to describe things after the roll's done as well. Particularly if they kill something, it's like, okay, well, how did you kill it? Uh, and for players who aren't used to describing their action, that tends to bring them out a little bit. Hmm. That's a, that's a great idea. I tend to um, <laughs> I tend to take that over myself. That that's how you end up with some sort of like horrible scene of the guy's you know rib cage disintegrates <laughs> and there's. You know, a blood spray that covers six different people. It's really... Because <laughs> any time you describe something, it, it automatically becomes extreme, huh? <laughs> well, maybe. I don't, I don't know what it... I think, I think it's my way of, like, rewarding the player for finally killing that monster. Like, I could just give them some horrible, <laughs> grisly death. Like, you know, like, you know, if they can just get them by one or two hit points, yeah, fine, whatever, they're, they're dead. But... Um, you know, if they really like pound a guy who's only got like three left, and they they crit the dude, then invariably there's some sort of vaporation vaporization effect, and <laughs> some some limbs end up going in a couple different directions, and yeah. Or <laughs> I remember in one convention event, some guy was fighting. He was fighting at like a T Rex or something like that. And uh, the T-Rex had like 20 hit points or something, but he critted it and he ends up like kind of disemboweling the, the thing from underneath and then climbing through its rib cage and exiting out its mouth cavity with you know, a couple <laughs> of fangs in each hand and just screaming, you know, his barbarian rage at the top of his lungs. <sighs> Maybe I'm a frustrated writer. I don't know. <laughs> frustrated horror writer, apparently. Absolutely. So. Uh, I had a couple of extra things that I could add to the to the list. That I don't think we've talked much about. Although one of them we kind of did. Um, what one of the one of which that we haven't talked about is that as a DM, one of the things I like to do to try to make uh, encounters more extreme is uh, environments. Have crazy environments. You know, go ahead and have that combat swinging over a, a pit of lava or uh, with acid shooting out of out of the fountain or you know whatever it is, right? But a way that you can take any given encounter and make it more extreme is to add crazy, crazy environments. Yeah. I, I, I don't remember exactly where I read it. I don't know if it was Monty cook or somebody else was talking about like designing really great encounters and their number one you know piece of advice was like, it's all about the location. What's at the location mm-hmm. because a great boss monster in the middle of a blank field really doesn't do the whole thing justice. And uh, they use the example of Star Wars, like the original trilogy. If you look at the lightsaber battles, you know, they had it, you know, in the docking bay of the Death Star or, you know, on Bespin in the, you know, in the carbonite processing room, like all that. Like you look at those locations, you go, yeah, that's iconic. There's no, you know, there's so much stuff that happened there that make that fight interesting as opposed to just two guys, you know, bashing each other with lightsabers. Mm-hmm. So that was a, yeah. Even the, the newer uh, trilogy, right? If you think of the Darth Maul fight scene with Qui-Gon, there's force fields popping in and out and they're jumping from one catwalk to the next and, and hopping all over the place, right? 
that's kind of the only saving grace, especially of that movie. Is, <laughs> right, yes, like, it some is. Some really awesome. And Darth Maul hardly says anything, and then, and then he, spoiler alert, then he gets whacked. So, it's, yeah. yeah, it's a little, I, I really want, he was such an intriguing character, and I'm like, oh, I want this guy to go. Um, you know, he's kind of like a Boba Fett kind of like mm-hmm. badass dude. Wow, awesome, awesome villain. And then whack, he's, that's it. <laughs> but, but you don't watch the cartoons, do you? No, I do not. Yeah, he, was oh. not he is not dead. Well, aha! Uh-huh. <laughs> spoilers. Spoilers. That's, a, that's another thing we can all complain about that's when right. episode <laughs> seven comes out, right? Absolutely. What do you mean they're? Why did if Darth Maul was actually alive, why wouldn't they bring him back? Why wouldn't we have seen him in the cantina? Absolutely. That's a different kind of nerd rage. I don't need to engage those. That 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 whole thing. That's a, that's a level of extreme we don't need to go to, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Like, I kind of feel like like nitpicking Star Wars is almost like you know shooting a rusted out truck with a BB gun. You know, it's been done so <laughs> many times; it really doesn't change the value of the truck. That's just the way it is. Yeah. You know what? You know the the only thing I could possibly hope for is that now that Disney owns it, at some point, ten or fifteen years from now, when George Lucas, God bless his soul, is you know, no longer with us. They go, hey, fans, we're going to go back and give you the original cuts that, you know, that you saw back in 1978 or whatever. That's that's kind of what I'm holding up hope for. Although I think, you know, you know, the people they brought on for the the new trilogy is they're, they're great. You know, I've got, I've got hope for it. But yeah. that's not but that's not D&D. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Well, fortunately, there's a small amount of nerd crossover between D&D and Star Wars. I suspect so. Yes. <laughs> um, the other bit of, uh, of advice I would give in terms of making your game more extreme, I actually I'm going to steal from Chris Perkins. Uh, and if you're going to steal DM advice from anybody, I think Chris Perkins is a good way to go. Uh, and he, re- on a recent uh, actual uh, official D&D podcast, uh, gave the advice to DMs that when it comes to your story and when it comes to the awesome ideas you have, don't hold back. Don't save them. Um, if you've got an awesome idea, do it now. You will have more awesome ideas. In fact, most people who are creative people, and we're gamers, right? So we're all creative. Uh, we're constantly coming up with more, more and more cool ideas. And what's cool now may not feel cool in six months. So do it now while it feels cool and while you get you know, your, your brain is sort of jiving on what's awesome about it. And do it. Don't, don't save it. Don't make it precious. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, I, I think um, the, 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 the trick that that plays into, and I don't know if this has just been weighing on my mind lately or what, is that players have enough to juggle the way it is that for them to follow your convoluted storyline that leads up to the giant master reveal of who your ultimate big bad guy is, like you may find that personally anticlimactic because they're like, mm-hmm. oh, wait a minute, who now? What? what Oh, that monk guy that we met like three and a half months. Who? <laughs> you know, that's not that's not the moment you want to have happen. Right. Um, you know. So yeah, I, I, I it's the same thing with you know like a, a, a combat where it's like oh no this this guy is supposed to get away and I've certainly had those moments in my game where you know I had somebody who they they got a, like a they had boots of flying or something like that. And they had plucked the magical ring away from the players and and the players had ground down the rest of their forces and they were taking flights and just at the edge of longbow range. And I'm like, all right, well, you got one last shot to drop this guy. 
and the guy rolls a natural 20 in crits. Ah. And I'm like, okay, this is one of the major players in you know the campaign world. And I know this guy probably has more than 25 hit points. But it's such a perfect moment. I got to shoot him out of the sky. <laughs> and the players remember that to this day. You know, remember that time we shot that arrow? And, jumped? and you know what? I mean, the great thing about being a DM is you can always create new bad guys for them to fight. Mm-hmm. You know, or, or it can create a, a situation in your game where you're like, oh, I didn't. Re- you know what? No, if he really was gone, then maybe these people would step in. Or maybe there's a, you know, maybe that makes an opening for some forces from the outer planes to come and make a play for what's going on. You know, I, I don't like to plan my adventures out more than kind of like one or two sessions because I like to be responsive to what the uh, what the party's going to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, I in my in my and I've talked a lot about it. It's been long over now. My my big uh, level one to level thirty fourth edition campaign. Uh, I had a vision in my head of exactly how it would end, and it ended more or less that way with one of the the players actually take, becoming the new god of magic in the Forgotten Realms, right? Um, how much different would that campaign have been if I had not held on to that? Like if we did that in, in, in you know, session four <laughs> instead of session 400, you know? Right. And, right. and it could have worked. You know, you, I could have come up with some story and made that work. And, and, and I, I, that, I know that's, that's advice I heard Chris Perkins say. Don't hold on to it. Don't make it precious. And it's something I, I personally want to sort of work on. I'm not going to hold anything back. I'm going to try not to hold anything back. I'm going to move forward. And if I got a cool idea, let's do it now. I don't care what level we are. Nice. All right. Is that it? Does anybody else have any more extreme DM or D and D advice? I don't. I don't think I. You know. I mean, we could just talk general gaming <laughs> gaming sure. advice. I could talk for that about about six hours. So you know, you. I've, I've you. got stories and advice to share. I, and, and that's uh, not even including the awesome advice Bill might give, right? That, well, you never know. Yeah. <laughs> Although, let's be honest, Bill has kind of a limited worldview of what makes an awesome. <laughs> game. Well, it's a Wait a minute, Jeff, did right? you make one of your players the god of magic? I did. <laughs> so second lamest god in the pantheon is what you're telling me. <laughs> well, who's the first oh, lamest? Oh, look, I can, the first lamest god in the pantheon? The god of gnomes. Hello. Oh, okay. <laughs> Not halflings? You know, gnomes and halflings, honestly, I, I, the, I, the I thing, don't, don't bother to distinguish. Okay. <laughs> you know, one of them eats a little bit more. Um, one of them wears a pointed hat. That's all I know. We'd like to say thank you to Tomamel, uh Bill Cavalier. Thanks for coming on the show. Where can people find you? Well, they can find me at DungeonBastard.com. Um, they can find me on at Facebook at Facebook slash DungeonBastard. They can find me on Twitter at Twitter slash DungeonBastard. And I try to mix things up there um, so that you don't get a lot of cross, uh, you know, double posting of content. So, yeah, you can also find me on my YouTube channel at Epic Level TV. So, please subscribe, like the videos, uh, pledge to the Kickstarter, and uh, game on, gamers. We'd also like to thank listeners who shop at the Noble Knight and those who use the affiliate links to Amazon and or D&D Classics. Uh, and you can find all those affiliate links and the show notes at thetomeshow.com. And if you want to get a hold of us, you can email us at thetomeshow at gmail.com. That's all one word, thetomeshow at gmail.com. Or call the Tomes Biz line at 919-BIZ-TOME. That's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. And that is episode 216, the most extreme episode ever of... The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome. 
I'm a wall.